e aku manutaki, e aku manutaikoa, ko rere mai ki tēnei o ngā kaupapa o te ao Māori, nau mai, haramai, ko Justine Murray tēnei. It's the last Te Ahikā show for 2015, and tonight we will take a look at the past year to reflect upon the stories featured on the show. When the 6.3 magnitude earthquake struck Christchurch in 2011, there was an outpouring of support nationally. Food, supplies, clothing and donations were sent to assist communities. The earthquake rebuild continues. In March this year, Ngaitahu had the chance to say thank you to everyone who came to their aid in some form. In fact, that was the theme of this year's Te Matatini, the national kapahaka competition held at Christchurch's Hagley Park. Ranui Ngārimu is a well-known Naitahu weaver. She co-authored the book The Art of Māori Weaving with Miriam Evans. Ranui is a chairperson of the Waitaha Cultural Council. Since 1965, the role of the council is to foster Māori performing arts in the South Island. We wanted to, you know, to go aroha really and give a respond in a way that we down here know and um, we thought that hosting... Tamatatini would be a good way to uh, show our love and respect for the people that came in their thousands and gave in their thousands to help us through the earthquake. The history of performing arts in Te Waipaunamu, Ranui, what's your account and, and your perspective about performing arts in the, in the area? Well, performing arts has always been an integral part of, of Ngaitahu and other iwi who have come and joined us here in Te Waipaunamu. Um, the Waitaha Cultural Council is in its 50th year this year, so it has a history of longevity of sustaining kapahaka competition and um, you know other related events um, through those 50 years. So I think it for me, it um, has got a long history. It is survive. It is surviving really well, and I am quite, I'm quite um, excited by what I see coming up through the groups that are here now in Te Waipounamu that will take it out into the future. National Performing Arts Festival Ote Matatini will be hosted by Ngāti Kahumanu in 2017. From Ngaitahu we head to Te Aotearoa, or Taranaki. I didn't quite pick Blazing Saddles as his favourite movie of all time, but Dr Tony Ruakere is a bit of a trailblazer himself when it comes to healthcare in Taranaki. Following the pathway of Taranaki leaders Maui Pōmare and Te Rangihirua, in the 1970s he set up a practice at Opunake. His fellow doctor and friend, the late Dr Paratine Ngata, helped out at the clinic too. Now, while retired, I talked about his career and his childhood at Puniho Pa. 
We had 42 cows. So you were up at the cracker door milking cows? <laughs> <laughs> You're a farm boy? Uh, yes. Now the average farm, the dairy farm, would be four, 600 cows. But we had, we had 42 and we had uh, 13, 14 of us, all vary from time to time in the house, and very small, and I have whare, about 1,100 square feet. But we had 42 acres, and you'd be put up in the farm, uh, dairy farm. When did you decide that medicine was where you wanted to oh, go? Probably towards... at a very young age. I probably, uh, without any doubt, I think the, the one that my stimulus really uh, would have been uh, Te Rangihiro, um, reading about him, and Maui Pomare, of course, and uh, both from here, of course, and, but particularly, I think, Te Rangihiro, and, uh, and that probably was a stimulus. When I was in med school, there were only six or seven in the whole of med school, out of 600. We were only a very, very small group, but actually a lot of us, there was a very high failure rate in the 50s, 60s. We had very little preparation, comparing ourselves with the Auckland Grammars, Wangani, Collegiates, Kings, and all those select Pākehā church schools. They were yeah. outstanding. They were less like Teotihuacan, really. We, that was the only one we could match with. However, our graduates... Um, Small though we were, when we eventually got through, um, well, there's Peter Tapsell, of course, our first orthopaedic surgeon, uh, my flatmate Mason Jury, uh, Bruce Gregory, who was the MP for Northern uh, Maori, Eru um, Pomari, uh, of course, he became Professor of Medicine, Wellington School of Medicine, and Dean of the School, uh, Professor Mantel, Colin Mantel Ngaitahu, Professor of Obstetrics at uh, National Women's. So small that we were, we, we did pretty well. But it took us decades before. Um, and Paramount, right in the, right of the real inspiration when we were at school, was a Paratininata. Paratininata. Uh, oh, yes. yes. He, he, was, he was the one for workforce development. You know, we had to grow our own. He spent a tremendous amount over decades. He, he um, even ended up in practice with me in Opanaki. Normal practice would be, say, 10, 1,200 patients, or I had 7,500. Solo rural practitioner. So I went over to Ngongata and knocked on his door and said, boy, you better come and give me a hand. <laughs> and so he ended up in Opanaki. So we were, we were the first Māori partnership. In 2014, Dr Tony was made a member of the New Zealand Order of Merit for Services to Māori Health. He is also the dad to actor and television presenter... Siobhan Duakere. The act of giving and receiving is practised through a kaupapa that's steadily growing here and across the ditch. The koha table is run in Porirua by a group of young mums. Rihanna Hotapu stockpiles donated goods and, on a semi-regular basis, she puts out the donated goods in the front of her house in the heart of Cannons Creek, for people just to help themselves. Paula McEwen and Josie Lancaster run the kuha table in the surrounding Porirua suburbs. Well, at the moment, we take on anything and everything, so shoes, clothes, kitchen stuff, um, other vessels give bread. Today they've got wheat bix coming through from When you say vessels, you mean other people? Other vessels of... Agencies, perhaps. Oh, okay. Or churches. I can see that you've got baskets of prawa. We've just had a group here um, dropping off boxes of wheat picks. Yeah, yum. 
Now, this is growing legs because in mid-March, Waitangirua is opening the koha table. That's right. So that'll be our fifth table under the umbrella of the koha Shikanas Creek. And in saying that, there are lots of people giving and, un- and taking unconditionally in Porirua. We seem to thrive on this kaupapa. Why? I'm not sure. But Porirua loves helping each other and helping themselves. So... He- Let's hope we can role model that through the motu and more people will start thinking alike. So basically we're in Cannons Creek, we're down um, Cheshire? Cheshire? Cheshire. Cheshire Street. We're just in front of um, Rihanna's home. Yes. So it's just, we're down an ordinary street, so people are popping in. Yep, literally on her front yard, and it's the same at all our homes. Um, The Ascot Park actually has a physical shed that they work out of, so that's rain or shine, but the rest of us are uh, weather permitting. So it's literally like a garage sale without the coin. This year, the centenary commemorations of the First World War continued with activities and events hosted around the country. In Wellington, the Pukeahu National War Memorial Park was officially opened on the 25th of March. Chairman of the Wellington Tents Trust, Maury Love. Now, now this side of the, uh, of the gardens uh, leans to Taranaki, um, uh, as, as uh, mana whenua here in Wellington, um, but it also leans to events that occurred uh, starting in 1860, uh, the beginning of the land wars uh, and the altercations that uh, led to the sacking of Pariaka. Um, and so there's a number of things here. The prisoners from uh, Pariaka were imprisoned on the hill um, uh, to the south of us here, behind the Carillon, on what was the old Mount Cook prison. And one of the things the prisoners did here was they took clay out of um, Pukiahu, Mount Cook, and made bricks here for the government. And what we see in the wall are some of these bricks. And if you look closely at these bricks, you will see some have fingerprints of the people who made those bricks. Some of them also have the arrow that indicated they were prisoner bricks or government bricks. Um, So, you know, they have uh, uh, special significance here. The whakatauki on the wall here, Maungarongo Kirunga Kitafenewa, comes from uh, Mm. that that line of uh, Tefiti Orongamai or or, or the the Christian statement Mm. there. So it it harks back to that, but it also talking about peace on earth. Part of this park is, 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 is not just about war, um, but about uh, about the peace. Te Papa curator Pua Waikens has spent the past few years researching Māori soldiers of the First World War. Her research included talking to the families of the soldiers, reading over diaries, articles and books, and using social media as a tool to tell those stories and make connections. When the World War I commemorations were signalled as something that Te Papa was going to um, engage in as an exhibition, I was given the task to go out and research 
our participation. I've always liked military history and Māori military history. Um, I've, re I've done an exhibition before about Māori and uniforms and military uniforms mm. and the intertwining of Māori influence in New Zealand military culture. And so it's not that much of a leap to go and do the World War I history. When the declaration of war happened in 1914, August 1914, um, Māori politicians such as Ngata and Carol decided to organise themselves to have a contingent of Māori go over and join in the battle. At that point in time, Māori were not allowed to um, enlist on behalf of New Zealand or on or behalf of the British Empire, and the politicians wanted to change that. They saw this as an opportunity to, what they would say, pay the price of citizenship. Um, so around about October 1914, you begin to see men of Māori descent enlist and... Um, formulate the very first uh, Māori contingent, which was called um, Te Opetuatahi or Te Okofutuatu, uh, which was given, the, Te Okofutuatu was the name that was given to the entire kind of um, uh, force of Māori soldiers, but Te Opetuatahi was the first Māori contingent, and mm. they were assembled to go off to Gallipoli. Originally they were given the name Native Contingent, but um, that didn't really stick with the soldiers. They would call themselves the Māori Contingent. I think one of the reasons that the Māori Contingent was not adopted as the formal name was because when you would see the Māori Contingent was when it was put onto a badge, the I think Ngata protested that it looked like um, New Zealand Milit um, Medical Corps, NZMC. Right. So in order to make it look like it wasn't the medics, they went the medics, they um, called them the native contingent, so it looked different on the badge. But when they were actually in practice, they called themselves the Māori contingent. So in the exhibition I'm working on, this is what Monty, is, Monty Suter also corrected me on. He goes, because um, when he saw some of it, he goes, they don't really call themselves the native contingent, because I have, um, you know, his, right, his research had shown that they weren't the native contingent. And sure enough, yeah, they... If you read all their letters, yes. they call themselves Māori Contingent. The year was 1985, and a bunch of boys from Upper Hutt loved their town and reggae. This was the beginning for the group Upper Hutt Posse. Over the group's 30-year history, members have included Teddy Moana Rapley and DLT Daryl Thompson. They started out as a reggae band, and in 1988, their first single, Air 2, was released. Frontman Dean Harpita, a.k.a. Te Kupu, is as politically aware today as he was 30 years ago. I visited his home in Raumati. Ka ranga, rangatahi, whakarongo, whakarongo. Wena the release of Air 2 in November of 1988. By release, I mean it was the screening of the music video for Air 2 on radio with the pictures. That was a release. 
because that after that we were we really overnight we were just known overnight nationally because there hadn't been a rap band and there hadn't been a Māori rap band also on top of that and the chorus was air to stand proud say it loud you know people like what is that what are these guys going on about I remember our manager at the time, George Hubbard, he says, why don't we put out this song, one called That's the Beat, you know, because it's a popular, poppy kind of song. I says, hell no. <laughs> it's very clear to me that the first song that we're going to bring out is going to be a political song, social, socially aware, conscious song, and here too, that was it. Wow, who wrote Air 2? Where did that song come from? Oh, I wrote it, the lyrics, and my brother came up with a bass line, and I says, yeah, he just had this bass line, which is very simple. I says, yeah, yeah that'll work, and then it was wrapped over the top of that. That's how we, we formed it, me and him. It was aimed primarily at Māori people, but just everybody at the same time. See, I took the, the phrasing, Air 2, stand proud, kia kaha, say it loud, from James Brown. Say it loud, I'm black, I'm black and I'm proud. I, when I heard that song, earlier than that, of course, earlier than 88, 87 when I wrote the song. So yeah, well, how to say, look, man, we need to be proud also about our ancestors who fought violently. That's a key aspect of Air 2. It was like, I'd heard of Te Whiti at that time. Now, I want to talk about people that fought against this colonial structure of governance that was coming into the country in the 1800s, I want to talk about them and those that were violently opposed to it. Flaxmere born and bred Tipene Hama waxes lyrical about his childhood, his family and of course his hometown. With music, it's not just about your woes. It's it's you know, or just saying oh, all the things that are wrong in the world, you know. Because it, for me, I mean, I grew up on you know Bob Marley and you know um, Tupac and uh, Bone Thugs and and you know all the old school music as well. Um, and I, I the reason why I like that kind of music is is because they always had some sort of solution in it. You know, it's not just about oh man, you know, I haven't got anything and, you know, poor me and, and everyone's hard up and, you know what I mean? It's not yeah, all about yeah, that. Yeah. It's it's about saying, well, this is the cards that we were dealt, but this is how you get through it, you know? Because that's what Bob Marley did for us, you know? He was told, well, well, from his perspective, of course, anyone could talk about problems. You just look at Parliament, man. That's all they do is talk about problems and, and try and dodge the solutions. But for me, it's about this is how I dealt with it, and put it in a song, and put it in a chorus. My, my early stuff when I was a teenager at school, um, and then someone would steal it, and I used to think, I used to get real, real ho-ha with that, eh? like, wow, man, took me ages to make that. And for ages I used to get cut about it, but um, when I thought about it, I thought, well, it's actually, it must be, must be all right if they want to steal it, you know, like, so I looked at it as a good thing. 
Brothers, Regan and Sasha Perry, grew up in Tikawiti. It was there that they learned from a bunch of talented Māori families who were also pretty good musicians. They moved down to Titahi Bay and have now settled in the Bay of Plenty. I met Regan and Sasha Perry at one of their local pubs. They all against, they all against me. We're at it together when we're both on the street and we had nowhere to sleep and we're asking each other we got somewhere to sleep and we're both going, no, we should write a song about it. And that's where you get it. Yeah, yeah we've both been homeless and so both know those feelings. I think that's both about, um, even though we're pale skin, once you start talking to us, you'll know that we're, there's a lot more aroha inside of us than your average, what you're looking at, you know what I mean? Look like a rocker, look like a German, but in the ways, it's a better way of saying anything. Yeah. That's a good song. We're real like people. Song. We're real people. We're just like real people. And, they, and when you talk to us, that's what most people say. They're like, whoa, wow, those two real people right there. <laughs> you know? Like you said, humble from our parents, from our dad, humble. You know, And that's what Tikori teaches you too, just be humble. Like you said, really proud Māori people there. And um, could be really angry Māori people there, but they just really humble and caring. When it's so. Yes, I'm from Tekwiti and uh, the King Country. I'm real proud to be from there. We grew up a few places before uh, Tekwiti was home, and then um, but once we Regan left home real early to, to follow music, he's been all over, and um, I'm sort of the same, but with uh, was directing and other arts and things, so in sports. Yeah, I went to do music in Hamilton because that was like a big city when you're living in Tikori. And then my and brother. Hour up, or what, half an hour up the road? Yeah, yeah. true. So I think it was, the first gigs were at 13 in the Tianga Tavern and Waitamo Tavern and stuff like that. But didn't do much at school, so by 16 I was like, I'm not really made my mind up what I was going to do. So I just went to Hamilton to do gigs with my brother Darcy, the eldest brother of all of us. There's four of us. And uh, started, yeah. We played with a punk band called Five Girls. Five Girls? Yes, yeah, five, well, five Girls in it. But um, yeah, punk music and trying to write our own stuff, and that's what kind of. He played with so game. many people while he was in Hamilton. He played with uh, the Cora, Lawton Cora, and. Oh, uh, gee, I joined Cornerstone Roots after I came back from Japan. So it was a good five years. Um, yeah, dub conspiracy tours and wow. some of the dub and Cora and all that. Great stuff, yeah. yeah. That was wicked. We've yeah. always been writing songs together, and we did, um, um, when Māori TV first started, we yep. did a show called Roots Music, and um, we did that together. So, uh, Regan's pushing the microphone towards me. <laughs> <laughs> so, you're at home and you're like, why is this guy talking all the time? Yeah, have you got an anti mumble button on your, um, on your computer? There you go. Māori have the highest rates of suicide in the country. Suicide prevention starts from conception, was the theme of a national hui organised by Te Runanga o Ngāti Pikiao in Rotorua. While prevention was the main topic of discussion with the keynote speakers, I discussed the stigma and the tikanga processes practised on some marae should a person die from suicide. To get an insight, I visited Kaumatua Hoatapama at Matakana Island. And I've heard examples of people uh, being buried after only sometimes uh, on the same day that they died and sometimes the day after. 
and the other was that they be buried outside of the the Urupa gates, uh, the fence rather. And and so you know those sorts of things are, are quite abhorrent to me. I I don't agree with them. They are still yours, no matter how what uh, how they died, uh, what happened to them. To the the real issue, I think, is to take a good, long, hard look at ourselves, and and try and work out what it is that forces a person to take his own life or her own life. So those are those are the things that that I'm really concerned about. And of course, uh, I think uh, all of this stems from religion, stems from the influence that the church has had on on our uh, on our lives ever since the colonization so um, you know I think there, there needs to be a good long hard look at where that where suicide fits into tikanga not the other way around where suicide fits into tikanga and not the other way around I don't think there should be an accommodation uh, for suicide by the mere fact that a person has taken his or her life uh, that is, you know, that is for me. It's it's just patently wrong. Um, and if you uh, look at what the person has done in his or her life, and and give them that accord in in the same way uh, that you accord a person the the ritual of a tangyanga, uh, then you 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 know you get get it into some sort of perspective, and I. I'm not sure whether I'm making my point, but uh, all I'm saying is that if you concentrate on the suicide rather than what the person has been able to achieve in their life, uh, then uh, you're on the wrong track. You, you know, uh, uh, oh, sure, talk about the suicide, but also talk about the good things that that person has done, uh, and that is the purpose of tangyanga. I mean, when you attend a, when you attend a tangihanga and there's been a young person or a person and it doesn't have to be young because, you know, some of the statistics saying that there are, you know, older people as well. You know, what what runs through your mind when you're well, delivering uh, a five? For me or? for me, uh, first of all, with young people, is that uh, that young person hasn't even had a shot at life. Hasn't had a real good shot at life. And and uh, um and if it's an older person then the the knowledge that that person has accumulated hasn't yet been fully utilized you know and and those are the th- the losses that you suffer when somebody dies and if somebody dies prematurely you know it's it's just uh uh horrible um and uh of course with suicide and maori the highest rate of suicide is in within the young people and and so you know those sorts of things kind of run through your mind uh, when you when you go to a tangihanga, which uh, at which the person has killed himself or herself. And I've been to, I've been to a few of them. I, I think, from a tikanga point of view, the the tangata whenua, the the marae, is I think a little bit embarrassed that they have to talk about suicide. And I think. And, and I think that's also wrong because I think suicide should be brought right out in the open and people should talk about it a hell of a lot more uh, and, and, and address the issue front on.
This is Tiahika. I'm Justine Murray. It's the last show for the year. Now this year we covered a few stories from Te Tai Tokirau, or the Northland region. Lois Williams moved to Whangarei in 1989 and only intended to stay for a few years. Well, she met her now partner and has lived in the area since. Lois met with Ricky Halton, the CEO of the Kaitaia-based Hekorowai Trust, who are affecting change through an affordable housing scheme. Can have a look in this house. This is the one. They're all, they're all up to the same stage. Looking very, very trim and tidy. Um. Oh, what a difference! Right. This is Lois. This is Lael. 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 Lael's dad was uh, one of our original okay. trustees. Lael's first trustees. I'm just going to take you into one of the houses. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? It is. I haven't seen it since it was really, really first stages. Yep. Second stages. Yeah. And it just looks awesome. Huh? Got some. Well, come and have a look. About a year and a half. Have you had a look inside later? I'd love to have a look inside. Yeah. So they're in a pretty sorry state, these old places, were they, Ricky, when you got them? They're all blinking. Messed up. Who's done all the work on them? Uh, prisoners, trades. Yep. Prisoners? Yeah. From Nafa? Yeah. Okay. They came up every day. Wow. This is pretty posh. Polished floors, natural timber. Yeah. Neutral decor. Oh, just, got a, just got the water on, that's why we couldn't finish them there because we had a couple of polish. Yep. Uh, uh, yeah. But um, what they are? Are they insulated? Um, only in the roof and uh, I don't think the walls are. Under floor as well? Under floor and in the roof. Oh, that's pretty good. They feel warm, don't they? Even though it's a cold day. So this is the living room, lounge room, and three bedrooms. Three bedrooms. Yeah, they're all about the same. Yep. You got families lined up to move in. Yeah. Staying at the moment. Where are they staying oh, at the moment? Wash houses with, eh? Oh, yes, they're old wash house on the back porch. And, um, and a little deck out the back. Yep. What this is oh, it? This is beautiful. This is five acres. It's 50 acres. So, where are the boundaries here? Out past the um, fences? Way or? back where those trees are there. All right, so you've got a lot of space. This is here. five acres. Yep, where the houses are. And, and the whole section is 50. So, it goes down to those Willie Toy Toy down there? Yeah. Um, so are you going to put all the houses on the five acres and keep the rest for Yes, so produced? we've done all the rating and everything for 18 houses to start with. 18 houses and then we're going to, as, as stage one. But it's developing the model. It's developing the model for the families. And what's that, what does that entail? It means buying land, changing it from um, getting it zoned to medium dense residential, uh, changing it from European land to Māori land, taking on a huge amount of debt, $800,000, up front as a little trust. It means um, taking basically a huge, a huge risk because these families are families that are, have been refused state housing assistance. So the trust is providing housing assistance for the families. Why have they been refused housing New Zealand help? Well, out of 57 people, we thought nine would get uh, 
bank loans, none of the families are able to get bank loans. So credit rating, uh, lifestyle choices, risk-taking behaviour. Um, and so we've turned it from European land into Māori land. There's no drug, alcohol or violence allowed on site and that's managed by a way the trust will own the land, the families will own the houses and we're going to give them a perpetual licence to occupy. And so uh, the, uh, if they get a conviction in a court for any uh, drug, alcohol or violence offence that's happened on the site, then we terminate the licence to occupy, get the house valued and put another family in the homes. And are the families keen to come in on those terms? Uh, yes, yeah, so the families that we have are families that are trying to escape that type of lifestyle because of the communities that they live in right now. Inspired by international architecture, possessing a creative flair and ambition led to the formation of a portraiture business. Soldiers Rode Portraits was the idea of Tarniku Nordstrom, who then asked her sister-in-law, Vienna, to lend her photography skills. I caught up with the duo at their home in Papamoa. We just really want people across the spectrum to be able to come and get portraits. It's really important, I guess. Um, obviously, we encourage everyone of all cultures to come, but it's, it's our Māori families that re-energise our passion and commitment to the culture. And without them, <laughs> without Māori people coming to get portraits, yeah, I, I see no, no point in doing it. We figured yeah. that we'd do our prices so that if there was somebody that was on the unemployment benefit that they could save 20 bucks for a month, a week, you know, 20 bucks every week for a month and be able, or 10 bucks and be able to come and get a portrait in a couple of months, not saving for flipping years to come. And that's why we have those open studio days and we love them. And we a lot get. of families come and they say, this is the first family portrait, portrait we've, we've ever had. We get that all the time. This is the really? first family portrait we've ever had because portrait prices are so, mm. uh, so overpriced. You pay, by the end of it, by the time you get your, and not only that, they own the rights to it and they print the photos. Mm. So they send you all, you know, these photos. It's like you're two thousand dollars down the track, um, and we all know in the world that we live in now, that's just not feasible. Yeah. yeah. Hey Vienna, where do you get? Where do you get your clothes? Um, a lot of them are made by my mother-in-law. So our kurawai. Um, yeah, a lot of our a lot of our costumes are made by my mother-in-law, who's very talented. Um, she inspi gets inspiration from looking at. Books. Yeah, like yeah, I guess so. She just has all these ideas in her mind and she just has the ability to just do them. Um, so sometimes, like um, the ones in a couple of pictures. That's are, you! Yeah. So those, those dresses were actually um, hired from a theatre because they're the actual full hoop skirts. Um, I think there's one of us standing up somewhere. But, um, yeah, that's compared. Yeah, so these were just hired from a theatre, um, and then a lot of our kind of colonial clothes are sourced from op shops or garage sales. Yeah, oh, so that can kind of. <laughs> she was channeling the piano. She lives in a castle in England. She's very Victorian. I know. I totally got into character. Right. I was channeling kind of. I wanted that really, that really Victorian look, like Downton Abbey, but but as if. As if Downton Abbey people wore kiritui. Up until now, we don't reserve any rights to the images. I was going to ask you because yeah. because and, and people have said that is the you guys are stupid businesswomen. Why would you do that? You know, as as a portrait business, you know, and that's true. Most photography places will hold all rights yeah. to the images, but up until this point, we feel that as Maori, that Indigenous injustice through photography has already happened to our tupuna, 
that a lot of those Goldie type, you know, those portraits, I mean, I might just be speaking out here, but I, I don't know how much of those royalties got back to that whanau. So um, we like to give the rights of those images to the people. We consider it like a taonga, and this is our koha, this part. We, we create this, mm. and then as soon as you receive it, that taonga is in yours. You would never give someone a taonga, oh, but we'll have half of it back, please. Mm. You know, like that doesn't happen. So, um, yeah, we've had so many people like you guys are idiots. But, <laughs> and maybe we, hey, maybe we are, but... Um, at the end of the day, I, as a Māori, leave work feeling good about what I'm doing. Yep. Um, and you know what we've found? That because of our attitude, that especially that exact attitude of them owning their own rights and that as Māori we should be owning, you know, like, things like that. We have people, and we might say, oh, look, can I use your image for a poster? Man, everyone is always, yep, you guys can do whatever you want with it. Mm. So it almost works in counter-reverse, you know? Yeah. We end up gaining just as much as you would ha holding the rights, but through permission, because cool. of our stance on um, empowering Māori. Yeah, just enough injustice has already happened to us as a people. We need to, and by, we're empowering each other, you know. Why would I want to take any mana away from you by using your image without you knowing? It was 1967 since the play Awatea was last broadcast on the airwaves. Tiahika rebroadcast the Bruce Mason play, and to celebrate 50 years since the tour of the George Gershwin musical Porgy and Bess, Tiahika contributor Steve Danby shed new light on the play with its star, baritone, Inia Tewiata, and the rising Māori theatre stars that featured in the play, Don Salwin and Hannah Tatana. To listen to both of those plays, they are online now at rnz.co.nz forward slash tiahika. Before we end tonight's show, Tiahi Ka pays tribute to Māori figures who have passed away this year. Kia rātou mā, i haere ki tua o te arai, haere atu rā, whakangaro atu. Ngāti Puro leader, Dr. Apirana Mahuika. Kohangareo exponent, Henrietta Maxwell. Ngāti Hine leader, Erima Henare. Ngāti Kahunganu and Ngāti Pro musician and performing arts tutor, Tama Huata. 28th Māori Battalion soldiers of B Company, Arthur Fidi Midwood of Ngāti Pikiao and Hare Tenuku Ratana of Tuhoi. Te Roroa ceramic artist, Manos Nathan. Te Pōpoto o Ngāpuhiki Kaipara ceramic artist, Colleen Ehrlich. Tuhoi Kaumatua, Tiwi Black Ngai tu hoi en te arawa kuia, te uruhina Magavi Te arawa leader Mauriora Kingi Kia koutou katoa e noho papauri ana mō koutou tini mate anō nei te mihi te aroha kia koutou Over time I've been building my castle of love that's the final Tiahi Ka for the year. The show returns at the end of January, bringing you stories from around the motu. A big thanks to our Tiahi Ka contributors, Steve Danby, Lois Williams and Takari Butler. 
A special mention to all the sound engineers who work their magic to produce the show week in, week out. Thanks, guys. Kia no kia koutou katoa, kia koutou te maria. Thanks for supporting Te Ahikā. E kore e mimiti te punamihi, kia koutou. Have a safe summer break. I'm Justine Murray. Mauri tu, Mauri ora. Chance, and maybe with the